0: All right, turning your Bibles with me to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, got a little bit more voice today than I did last week, so I'm thankful for that. If you guys will, stand to your feet with me for the reading of God's word. Last week we covered verses 5 through 9, and we got a little bit into verse 10. Uh, Hopefully today we'll be able to cover verses 10, 11, 12, and 13, and we'll finish out chapter 3, I mean uh, chapter 2 next week. Uh, Let's read starting in verse, uh, the second part of verse 8. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control, at present, we do not see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Verse 10. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many, many sons to glory, I'm going to go ahead and finish the chapter just for next week, too. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So I want to get into... Hebrews 10, 11, 12, and 13 today, and I want to unpack those and break those down uh, in hopefully such a way that you would be able to understand and apply uh, what these texts are showing, not just us, but the original audience. Okay. So just a a really quick recap of what we were looking at last week when we looked at Hebrews uh, 2, 5 through 8. And I'm not going to go back through everything, but just kind of as a reminder. We talked about the world to come. And if you remember, we had understood that what he's pointing to when he speaks of the world to come is linked uh, with what's come before. So chapter 1. 1 through 16 and then chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 is linked with what he's saying here for it was not the angels that God subjected the world the world to come of which we're speaking and so to briefly touch on it the world to come is that world that will come in the future that will uh, that will be a part of the great salvation that we're to take care of okay And we went even further, and we talked about that world and who that world is in subjection to. We touched on Genesis when we talked about in the beginning, in the created order, that the world, the earth, and everything in it had been subjected to Adam, to mankind, and he had dominion over the world. But the problem was is that Adam disobeyed God, he didn't trust God, and so he was Uh, he was judged and removed from the Garden of Eden. And in that whole process, he lost dominion over the world because of his uh, waywardness and because of his corruption. And he uh, was then subjected to futility. He was subjected to death. He really, uh, at the end of the day, was subjected to demonic activity and to the enemy whose power, who has the power of death, okay? So the greatest subjection was to futility, corruption, decay, death. He was subjected to uh, fallen angels, to demonic presences. But here the the author of Hebrews is saying that's not how it's supposed to be. And you need to make sure that you take care of listening and uh, making sure that you are paying attention because of this great salvation that's coming. Because you need to understand, the world to come is not going to be subjected to the angels. It's going to be subjected to you through the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? And so we, we topped all that off and finished it off with Romans chapter 8, where we talked about uh, the, the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but so that it may be released from its bondage to corruption, right? And the creation waits eagerly in an eager anticipation, longing for the revealing of the sons of God, right? We, the creation longs for the glory of God to be revealed in us. Why? Because as we come into God's family through Christ and we are restored, we're redeemed, we're regenerate, then we are prepared, equipped, and compelled and called to be a light in a dark place, to cast out darkness, to uh, speak truth into the world. the The gospel is the power of salvation to all that believe. The gospel has the power to rewire. The gospel has the power to reorganize creation as it was supposed to be in the very beginning. And my point was is that we don't. Uh, lots of times we hear this message: believe in Jesus get saved because you don't want to go to hell right and you know i don't want to go to hell either and so i'm not saying that's a lie but that's just a very very shallow picture of the realities of the gospel the complete gospel message would look more like get saved because you don't want to go to hell that's just part of it but when you are saved when you're born again in the family of god the holy spirit transforms you and renews your mind and equips you and and commissions you as an ambassador of the Lord Jesus Christ and and transfers the authority of Christ to you that you might speak life Jesus is the logos the word came forth in the beginning life life happened that you now have the logos dwelling inside of you and it comes out of you and that those are the words of life that rearrange that re-redeem creation and so don't wait to do what God's called you to do until out there. We're not just holding on for dear life, scared to death, and we can't wait till it's over. No, I see that all the time. No, we embrace what's in front of us. We embrace the suffering. We embrace the trial. We embrace the victory. And we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. Warriors, right? We start now moving forward. The Bible's clear. The gates of hell shall not prevail against who? The church, it's the church who has faith in Christ. And so a little quick recap. Uh, We talked about Jesus being crowned with honor and uh, glory through subjection. So Jesus reverses everything by coming and doing exactly what Adam did except in the reverse fashion. And we'll talk about that more today, so I'm not going to spend too much more time on that. (coughs) So we now get to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Let me read it again, and uh, then we'll jump in. So after all of that, that Jesus is crowned with honor and glory because of the suffering of death, so that by grace, by the grace of God, he might taste death, uh, for all. Verse ten: For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Okay, so let's kind of break this down, and and there, (laughs) I get to studying these things. And there is so much in this one verse. It is ridiculous. So I'll touch on as much as I can without just kind of beating the dead horse. But let's look at this for just a second. And so let's go ahead. Okay, I, I put this up here just as a snapshot of what's being said here. Okay, that's why I started putting these little subtitles up here. This is kind of what we're talking about. The perfectly perfect Savior became the perfect founder of salvation through the perfect plan of perfect suffering. Get the idea? This is perfect. So what, what are we talking about here? And what, when we start to transition from sections of Scripture to the other sections of Scripture, I, hopefully I'm just trying to be as redundant as I can every Sunday so that you don't just download what I'm telling you and just, except the way that I'm thinking about it, because I'm sure that there are those who disagree with me on you know, ins and outs of the text. But I want to keep pushing and outlining things up here so that when you're reading the text, you'll start to make those biblical connections and those uh, you know, logically consistent connections in the text itself. And so let's look at the word for. Why is the word for there? The for, and we're talking right here, The four tells us that this is the explanation of the preceding verses. This is providing the why. So, you know, that makes a lot of sense. This is common sense, right? So he says, you know, Jesus was crowned with honor and glory because he was was subjected to futility or he was subjected to death because of his suffering, so that he might bring many sons to glory, so that he might taste death for everyone is actually in in verse 9. And we say for or because... Or this is why that that had to happen. Because or for it was fitting. Now, the translation here is a little bit different than what I I think would be a little bit better. I I hesitate to do that a lot of times because I don't want you to think you can't trust your translation. Your translation is fine. I'm just trying to think of how I would understand the wording better and looking at the different ranges of meanings of the word. So I I put it in here and you can kind of tell me what you think but for it was fitting that he uh for whom this is what you're going to read in your bibles i put this in here as a more literal translation but for whom and by whom all things exist and bring many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering so let's take a look at this this phrase right here for it was fitting that he the literal literal translation of that would be more like for it was becoming of him, or it was more in line with his purpose, or it was more perfectly, it, in this way, that it was perfectly related to the character of who God was. Okay, so when we think that it was fitting for that, he, you might think that, you know, this fit the situation at the time. Okay, that's kind of how I thought of it. And this was another translation that I'd read, and I think that it says the same thing, but for our understanding, it really means more of that, it, that what, what was said about Jesus, Him being crowned with honor and glory through the suffering of death, so that He might taste death for everyone. By the grace of God, He might taste death for every, everyone. The, what's, being, what's trying to be conveyed here is, is that that whole thing was perfectly in tune and in line with the character of God and who he has been and always will be from eternity past. In other words, the reason I wanted to make this plain was that the propitiatory sacrifice of Christ, the offering up of Christ by God, was not plan B. It was not as if God tried really hard in the Old Testament, but the stubborn jews you just refuse to get it and so he said all right man forget y'all i'm going to get me another people the church and maybe when i get to church that y'all get jealous and then i'll come back and talk to you about what was going on and we can try to straighten some stuff out no that jesus christ was the plan from the very beginning It was not outside of God's character. It was not plan B. It didn't just fit the purposes of what needed to be done. No, it was perfectly planned, and it was everything that it was meant to be. And so, second, he was for a little while, and so this is bringing in the why here. He was for a little while made lower than angels and crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death. We're going to talk a little bit more about this because this is a very curious Uh, phrase that he was crowned with honor because of the suffering of death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for all because it was fitting this this was exactly what had to happen but it wasn't a temporary solution it wasn't a second thought everything is perfectly how it was always supposed to be and I put acts there to show you and demonstrate to you that that's exactly the reality that we see taught in the Scripture. So you can, if you want, turn with me to Acts chapter 2, verse 23, or I'll just read it, and uh, it'll give you an idea of what I'm talking about. (coughs) The idea is that Jesus Christ coming, uh, being made lower than the angels, having to suffer death and become the Messiah to be perfected through that suffering of death, was the plan from the very beginning. It wasn't uh, something that God, you know, rushed around doing to fix a problem that had cropped up. No, look at Acts chapter chapter 2, verse 23. I'm going to start in 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, listen to this. Delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You see what the verse says. And other texts say the same thing. That this was the plan before the foundation. Before the, before the foundations of the world. Before the foundation of the earth. And here we see that though Jesus was crucified by the hands of sinful men. All of that came about because of the predetermined plan of God. God wasn't scrambling around. This was the plan from the very beginning. And this is perfectly in line with who God is. Now, that brings us to another point. So you understand that oftentimes, even if not explicitly stated, a lot of people, even believers, have this idea in their head that in the Old Testament... It was kind of like God's junior years, and He was just ticked off at the world. You know, He's like a, uh, you know, a, an adolescent teenage girl who's just mad at everybody and just taking it out on everybody. Maybe a, a, a three-year-old child who is just mine, 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 and just you know, it, they're just always hitting and kicking and biting and stomping. But, and the problem is, is that we. We fail to realize and apply to that thought that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We often, especially nominal Christians, cultural Christians, you know, people who they are not really into the Bible. They go to church all the time, but it's just kind of a religious motion that they do as a routine. that You know, well, God was really angry in the Old Testament, but now... Thankfully, God sent Jesus in the New Testament. Man, he's super nice. And, uh, you know, Jesus is just really loving and forgiving. And, you know, I'm glad God chilled a little. Uh, No, that the same God of the Old Testament is the exact same God of the New Testament. And the means and transmission of grace and forgiveness and mercy was always through the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament, no matter. It's always the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the whole point is, is that it was. Now this is a quote from from Pink in one of the commentaries that I've been studying. I thought he said it really well, so I'll just put it up here. <clears throat> he says it was not only according to God's eternal purpose. It's not just that it was according to God's eternal purpose. But it was also suited to all his wondrous perfections. Never was God more God-like than when in the person of Jesus he was crucified for our sins. God has always been loving. God has always been merciful. God has always been gracious. And it's always been, even before Christ, came to the earth it has always been a product and and a result of the shed blood of the lord jesus christ who was god and came down to earth to be made like us that he might become a merciful high priest now i want to touch real quickly too on this idea of being made perfect okay uh, let's see, for whom and by whom all things exist and bring him in sons of glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect. So lock in on these two words right here. I think this will be helpful to you. <clears throat> Whenever we are reading through these texts like this and we're studying the Bible, these, these little things like this are where heresy come from, okay? Literally. Uh, ideas in the text. So if, if you're, say, a Jehovah's Witness or you're, A Mormon, or you're uh, maybe a Muslim, and you have you take these issues with Jesus Christ being uh, God in the flesh and full deity, which we've already just hammered that all the way through chapter one, right? That Jesus is God. But when we get to verses like this, this could easily be used if you cherry pick it out of its context, it could be easily used to try to suggest that Jesus was just another human being, a prophet maybe, sent by God maybe, but he's not God because God doesn't have to be made perfect. That God is already perfect, right? And so one reading this in that way may try to bolster their heresy and say God, Jesus can't be God because plainly it says that the one who is created the world and through whom it exists in doing this work of salvation should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering so it might go something like this the heresy is that jesus was a good guy but he wasn't quite enough and the only way that god the father god proper could to could get him to the place that he might be able to be a savior was to purify him and cleanse him of his imperfections through suffering you see that so do we think that that's what this means can it mean that no because of all the texts that clearly say even in hebrews that he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin so what does it mean then if he's making the uh, founder of their salvation perfect through suffering Obviously, that being made perfect is not a clearing out, a purifying of, or a cleansing of imperfections. It's not the undoing of imperfections. It's something else. So what is it? Well, this is the way that I would understand it to be read, is the way in which this is used is denoting the unmatched ability of Jesus to perfectly, perfectly fulfill the role of the captain of their salvation or the founder of their salvation because of the suffering he endured. The, the being made perfect did not mean that imperfections were removed. No. Jesus is perfectly perfect in every way in his deity and humanity. All it's saying is, that he was proven to be the perfect captain of their salvation through his suffering, which is what 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1 tells us, is that we are to look to Christ as the example of the one who went before to clear the path, and we are to do what he does. Hopefully it will start to come together even more. He is the captain that is on the front line setting the example and clearing the path, For his company to march upon as they enter the battlefield against death, sin, hell, and Satan. Which is what we see coming in the last part of chapter 2 of Hebrews. Further, the rest of the context shows us that it was the suffering that Christ endured in death that was the death blow to the devil. This suffering is the means by which Christ was qualified or made perfect for being the captain and founder of salvation. This is the bottom line, is that Jesus Christ, this is why I set this here like this, okay? The perfectly perfect Savior, we know Jesus Christ is the spotless Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, so He's perfect. The perfectly perfect Savior became, now this is true, He became the perfect founder of salvation through the perfect plan of perfect suffering. So in other words, Jesus Christ came to the earth, and he took on human flesh and suffered in his state of perfection, which means that it was undeserved, in order to prove and to be qualified to handle and to do what needed to be done to be the foundation and the captain of salvation. In other words, he did did what no one else could do. He proved to be the perfect foundation of their salvation. Does that make sense to everyone? So being made perfect is really, it's a qualifying through suffering. He was proven to be the perfect captain of salvation through his suffering. Okay? So let's move a little bit further on. I had a little video for you, but I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take time. One other thing here before I move on to the next verse. Just so you can, just so you can kind of uh, see just how big and just how wonderful this is. So it was perfectly becoming of him, for whom and by whom all things exist. We'll get back to that when we get to the next verse. I'll come back to that. In bringing, now this one word right here, and as I'm studying, you know, and I'm looking, I'm like, man, I didn't even see that. Check this out. Does any, does anybody, does it say that? He did what needed to be done so that they could come or so that he could bring them. So I I looked into this a little bit, and uh, this was pretty cool. That this word right here, bringing, is used, that that same word is used in Luke 10, 34, in the story of the Good Samaritan. The story goes like this. There is uh, one who is robbed and beaten and left for dead. He's robbed. He's, Everything's he's taken. He's left for dead on the side of the road. And some come and, and just pass by him. They don't want to help him. They don't want to get near him. They don't want to touch him. Uh, but then there's this good Samaritan that comes by. And the good Samaritan stops. Okay, And he gets the man who has been left for dead. He can't, the man can't get himself to salvation he can't get himself to help he can't get himself to a place to be cared for and so the man brings him to the end and does anybody remember what the man did then he took his own money out of his pocket and he paid the the innkeeper and he said listen take care of this man do whatever you need to do to save this man and if the cost is greater than what i've given you you keep a tab and I'll cover it. Okay? The same word is used here. In bringing many sons to glory. You see, you are in a, a desperate situation if you're an unbeliever. You're in a situation that you can't cleanse yourself. You, there are none good. There are none righteous. No, not even one. There are none who even seek after God. But God in His loving kindness in His divine plan and in His sovereignty... He has come to get you and to bring you into his glory. You see that? You see, I think a lot of us can get on board with the idea that we are sinners and we're not worthy for him to do what he did. But it goes beyond that. Not only are you unworthy and I'm unworthy, not only are we broken, not only are we sinful, but we don't even have the capacity within ourselves, according to our flesh and according to our will, to even realize or know that we need help and to drag ourselves to that source of help. But God, in His perfection and His grace, comes and snatches us up and breathes life into us. And He, like the Good Samaritan, has paid the full cost of what, it, what needed to be paid in order to make sure that you were where you needed to be. So I could go on in this verse, but uh, the last thing I'll say here before we move to the next is this. This same word here uh, also, this idea, is used in Romans 8.14. And the only reason I brought this in is because we looked at uh, Romans 8 last week, if you'll remember. Well, Romans 8.14, and the idea here is, in bringing many sons uh, to glory, well, the idea here is, is that you're being led, you're being brought, you're, you're, being, you're being drawn in. There is an, and this is a path, so this is an active uh, participle right here. And so this is showing us that the one who is doing the work is actively committing this bringing, okay? They're bringing this. But in Romans 8:14, the same word is used again, and this is what it says, All who are being brought, same word uh, by the spirit of god are the sons of god and that word is agontai and and in the in romans 8 that's actually a uh, passive verb it's the other side of this right here is that jesus christ is bringing the sons of glory. He's bringing them. How is he bringing them? That he is the captain of their salvation who is being uh, proven to be the perfect captain and it's being proven through his suffering that he might he might come and get them and bring them into that salvation. Literally bring them in to his glory. Into his glory. And you could go on and on and on there. Romans 8, 14 is the other side of it. That all who are being led or brought, all who are being brought by the Spirit, all who are being led by the Spirit are the sons of God. And so I leave you with this, is that if that's the reality of the sons of God, and we say children of God, okay, it's not just males, all who are being brought are the sons of God. And he... In doing what he did is bringing many sons to glory. And that is into the radiance of his glory. That's what, so we're being transformed in the image of Christ. Transformed and conformed to the image of Christ. Amen. Amen. I like that. I'm glad I got at least one today. I don't know if I need to preach harder or what, but come on. Hey, thank you so much. Praise God. Here it is. How do we know, or at least what's. What's one way that we can be sure that we are sons and daughters of God? If we are being led by the Holy Spirit. If we are being brought into the glory of God through the perfect captain of our salvation who's been proven by his suffering. Are you walking according to the Spirit? Are you living and 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 moving according to the spirit or is it the things of the world that drive you is it is it your desire to be in the word of god and to understand who god is and to develop a closer relationship with him is it your desire to be more conformed to the image of christ that you might reflect that glory outwardly to the people and to the situations and to the atmosphere that you're in is, is God working through you? Is God drawing you along? Are you following His lead? Are you, are you doing what God is calling you to do? And are you loving it? Remember, Jesus loved righteousness and hated wickedness. And so we've got some self-examination to do here, too. There's a lot more here, but we're going we're to move on. <clears throat> oh, yeah, let me make this announcement, too. In the next four weeks, okay, in the next four weeks, one one of the next four weeks, and I'll try to name it before a week out so you can prepare, but you can prepare now is that in the next four weeks we're gonna do an all-day preaching event. Okay? Now, some said, Woo, some said, uh oh. Here's here's the deal, here's how I want to work it. Okay. We'll come in, we'll do church as normal, okay, and when the service is over. We're going to take a break. We're going to have an intermission. We're going to have some food brought in. We're going to eat some lunch together right quick. And then we're coming right back in here. And we're just going to go until the Holy Spirit says no. Okay? Amen? Now, some of you with kids are like, ha, ha, you know? So here was my thought on that is that, the kids are welcome to come in. And listen, I, I, on the second part of that, I just want it to be just fun, uh, just jumping into Word, digging. We'll see how far we can go. Very informal, though. Uh, if you need to come in and out, go to the bathroom, I'm not that easily distracted. And I'm I'm chill guy. I'm laid back. So whatever. I'd even like to, if you want to stop me and ask a question or, you know, whatever, it would be more like, you know, more open, more laid back, more chill. And if, if we can have some of our people who want to rotate shifts in and out, we can even let the kids go out to the playground and play while a couple of people hang out with them out there. And then you can kind of take turns doing that. And, and I say, we'll just kind of take it as it goes and sees. We've never done this before, or see. We've never done this before. See, we've never done this before. I've been talking about doing it. I've been wanting to do it. I've had a ton of people who are encouraging me to do it. Uh, I had a ton of people who might not come back. But, uh, <laughs> no. But so we're just going to see how it works, okay? Uh, there are lots of churches who go all day, and uh, they seem to love it. So, you know, if you guys are Christians, you should be fine with it. <laughs> oh, just kidding, kind of. All right, <clears throat> Hebrews 2.11. <2:11. laughs> Hebrews 2.11. <2:11. clears throat> okay, now, we'll try to fit these things together. For he who sanctifies uh, and those who are sanctified. Now, this is... The the verse before this was beautiful, okay, but it's kind of a nerdy verse, okay? This is really, really cool. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. Now, okay, so I put up here, oh, beloved, Jesus is so proud of you. You know, all my Reformed brothers and sisters and the the high Calvinists in the room, they're like, get out of here with that emotional junk, right? nobody you know it's always this ditch on every side right so i've got a bunch of friends who are like super strict covenant theologians who are reformed and and you know the law still applies in these ways and you better watch how you walk you know and and you go to that silly church that man they're all like trying to figure out how to cry because they think it makes them closer to god and you know emotional driven you know and is that a ditch absolutely i've i've witness churches that you know they gauge the biblical reality and biblical consistency of the church by how many people are speaking in tongues and how many people are crying or dancing or falling out right uh now is there anything wrong with falling out that's between you and God uh I see things in the scripture where it says they thought that the disciples were drunk because that the Holy Spirit had descended on them so don't think I'm up here making fun of that I'm not a cessationist I'm a continuationist. I believe that God still works in the Spirit. I believe that God still does all of those things when and where He pleases, and I'm not shutting that down. Now, there is order to be had, and that's explicit in the text too. So sometimes you can look at a church service, and they got 18 people speaking in tongues, and nobody knows what nobody is saying because nobody ain't interpreting, right? And that's you can look at that and say, that's unbiblical, because we have clear teaching that says no more than three and you need to interpret yourself but if you can't somebody's got to all right So there's rules. My whole point in saying that is is that you've got a ditch on the other side too that says if you so much as whimper, you got to go right You raise your hand you put you put a halfway Pentecost now nah, put a continuationist with a seat belt on in the super staunch presbyterian reformed church and he'll be the one guy doing like this for eight seconds (laughs) right (laughs) because you go and 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 i say presbyterian you know all churches are different you know some of our baptist brothers and sisters and we're baptists okay i don't know if you even knew that but some of our Baptists. i go to the baptist churches and the well breaks up in a Baptist church. And, like, you know, there's a section of wellions. And, like, you can tell there's all the heathens because they like this. <laughs> and you look over, and all the other people just about are like, <laughs> there's ditches on both sides. And so, all the, and this generally speaking, you know, the, the Pentecostals, they, they want to, man, they really want to feel God. I want to feel God too. You know, the Presbyterian, the Calvinists, they wanna they wanna know God, right? They wanna know, they want that right doctrine. I wanna know, I want right doctrine too. But can't we have both? As a matter of fact, doesn't it happen in a more pure and real and authentic way when one is is intimately and intrinsically connected to the other? Is that when you hear the because when you're jumping up down, hooting and hollering and acting crazy over a false doctrine, that's problematic. But when you've got the right doctrine and it elicits no emotional response, have you really gotten it? Because when we read that the Son of the Living God poured out His life unto death for us, shouldn't it be like, woo Right? We should be excited. How can you sit still? David danced undignified before the Lord, right? You say, What has that got to do with this? I really don't know. I got on a roll and I couldn't stop. <laughs> no, it is connected. And here's why because, man, there should be a shouting. I have one amen, man. That's something wrong with y'all. If, if I get done with this, ain't no amens. I might have to quit because there's something wrong with me. Watch what happens. Now, I put up here, I said, oh, beloved, Jesus is so proud of you. You know, and immediately, again, you know, my high Calvinist, Reformed brother's like, Jesus didn't come because he loved you. He came because he wanted to glorify God. Amen. We got to work on your timing, sister. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> what was I at? <laughs> Calvin, as I say, you know, They <laughs> say Jesus came because He was He was gonna glorify God, and I'm over here like, well, Amen. But He also came because He loved people. Right, and could it be that he came because he loved to glorify God by loving people? Wow, what a concept! Could it be that the the, the greatest demonstration to glorify to, of the love of God to glor, the greatest glorification of God came through the demonstration? Of the love of God to sinful humanity that didn't deserve to be saved? I think that's, you know, biblical, right? That seems biblical. So I want to look here and see, do I have the right to say, oh, beloved. And I got beloved here. So we're talking about Christians. Oh, beloved, Jesus is so proud of you. Because I'm going to tell you right now, let me get practical for a second. A lot of you guys, and I've been there. It's not always easy. Remember, we just got through talking about how right now we can't see everything in subjection, right? We still deal with, man, we still deal with death, disease, broken relationships, people sinning against us, us falling into sin against other people and against God. Man, we deal with it, don't we? And sometimes it's really hard to see the... Light at the end of the tunnel right we're dealing with all of this stuff and and we can't you know it's like we're Christians we've confessed but but many of you may have confessed so you could escape hell that whole thing I'm not going back right through it but you were told that if you just say this prayer then Jesus will save you and you won't go to hell and again we say amen but many of you didn't Either you didn't hear it or you didn't believe it and you're still struggling with it. That when Jesus Christ saved you, he did save you for paradise forevermore, unity with him. But he also cleansed you from all unrighteousness now. It's not to say that you're perfect. As a matter of fact, we know we're not. But what it means... Is that Jesus Christ purified you in such a way that when God Almighty looks upon you in, in, in your mistake now, he can't even see. What does he see he sees christ he sees christ he sees pureness unadulterated perfection do you understand that we don't no you don't if you do you, you got me I, I can't even wrap my mind around right now we're stuck in this place where we're like i'm really trying jesus i'm trying you know you i, I know jesus don't like me right now and then tomorrow like we'll we'll do the stuff right and we're like, well jesus loves me today i'm in a good place man i'm doing it right you know and then the next day you like forget to read your bible you're like i can't even pray no more because i'm going to hell you know <laughs> jesus don't even like me but what we don't even realize is is that even in, the way, even in that thinking, you know what it is? That is a works-based salvation thinking. Because in your mind, think about it, you're not saying this. But in, in your mind, the thoughts that you're having and the actions that you're taking is demonstrating what you actually believe in that moment is that the way that you live secures salvation, sanctification, and purification uh, throughout the rest of your life. And your salvation depends on your righteousness. That's the only thing that can explain it. Because that's the only thing that would make you go from one minute when you're doing everything right to thinking, Yes, God loves me. To the next second when you do something wrong saying, Man, God hates me. Is it dependent on your righteousness? Is it dependent on what you've done? It can't. May it never be. If that's the case, then you never need to be joyful again. Because you will never, ever be worthy in and of yourself of the love and righteousness and unity with God the Father. It is impossible. If it was possible for you to be saved and purified by the keeping of the law, then the Son would not have had to come. Wouldn't have had to. But since the Son has come, and again you say, you still have, I still don't know why you're talking about this. Here we go. Who are you in Jesus Christ right now? So <clears throat> let's break this down real quick, and I maybe just do it today, Keith. What do you think? <laughs> All day to day, baby. Let's go. No. <clears throat> who? Okay. So let's just ask some questions of this text. Okay. Who is He who sanctifies? Pretty straightforward. Yeah, in this verse, it's actually talking about God proper, but Jesus is God, so I'll give it to you. So God, Jesus. And I'll tell you why we, we distinguish uh, God proper. <coughs> and those who are sanctified. Next question, who are those who are sanctified? Believers, right, Faithful. We'll just do it, that way. Believers, faithful, born again. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. Okay? So that's the question. Who is the one source? Who is that? In the context, Hebrews 2.10, the verse right before this says, speaking of God proper, for whom and by whom all things exist. That's the source, right? Hebrews 2.10 says, For it was fitting, it was becoming of him, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, uh, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. So we've got this picture of God uh, who... Is, is the creator of everything and sustainer of everything. He's the source of everything. made Jesus perfect through suffering so that he would be proven to be the perfect founder and captor, captain of salvation. For because he who sanctifies God, he who cleanses, he who purifies, he who uh, washes, he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified, right, all have one source so jesus sanctifies so god jesus sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source they have one origination here again is one of those verses that those who say that jesus is not god they cherry pick this and they say look obviously jesus has a source we say no We're talking here about Jesus Christ, the man who we've already established what did have a beginning. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is not begotten. He is eternal. We've we've done that. You have to go back and watch Hebrews chapter 1. It's plain as the day is long. Jesus Christ is the creator of the world. Jesus Christ upholds it by the word of his power. But Jesus Christ, the man... Is sanctified. He is set apart. He is made holy. He is He is taken to this place of perfection and and taken to this place or, or is taking people, I'm sorry, to this place, and He's purifying them, setting them apart. He is cleansing them. And those who are sanctified all have one source. In other words, that that we all emanate from the same place. Jesus Christ, the man, and we have the same source, and that is is that God, the creator, is is the creator of that man. So Jesus Christ is fully God. Jesus Christ is fully man. The The humanity of Jesus Christ had the same source as we do. He is cut from the same fabric, and he's the creator. So let's move on a little bit further. Who is the one source? Hebrews 10, for whom and by whom all things exist. God, so God is the source, Jesus came from God, we came from God, the man Jesus, we came from God, we move a little further, why does having, here's the big question where where it's beautiful, why does having one source cause him to not be ashamed to call them brothers? Okay, have you guys followed with me so far, I felt like that was kind of choppy right there. because it gets a little choppy going from that verse to this verse and separating out who God, which one's talking about God problem, which one's talking about Jesus. For he, and I think I uh, mistakenly said we need to point to God here, but obviously Jesus is God. For he who sanctifies, Jesus. So Jesus is the one who sanctifies. And those who are being sanctified, believers. They have one source, God which obviously is Jesus, too, in sense. That is why. What is why? That they have one source. That is why he is not ashamed, which is where my word proud comes from, to call them, who's them? Those who are being sanctified. Call them what? Brothers. Who? Believers. Now, let's put all that together. So, I'm going to do it this way, and I'm, well, I am out of time, so we'll just whatever. People keep getting on to me because I worry about the time. Maybe I should just not worry about the time, but can't help it. All the Kidwell people, I'm I'm afraid of them. (laughs) (coughs) We allow some people to pack in the church, and I'm not sure which one of them may be waiting on me when I come out. But but let me finish here. This this will be beautiful, and I'm I'm about done anyway. So, I just want to say when I first started the church, okay. Um, I not to get into a lot of my testimony, and I've shared a little bit here and there. I've shared my whole testimony it's online if you want to hear it. But so I grew up. Uh, my mom, single mom. Dad wasn't really around. I mean, I love my dad. I saw him, you know, some. Good bid. I would go over and and he would, you know, go out to the bar or whatever. And uh, we, you know, didn't have a lot of money. I never went without, you know, mama worked two or three jobs, single mom. She didn't want to be on government assistance, so she busted her tail and she worked. And I always ate, you know, maybe some pork and beans with mayonnaise, right? (laughs) Uh, Some vine or wieners, okay? (laughs) Ain't no shame in my game. I actually introduced Ella Ray just the other day to breaking up salting crackers with some milk, because we was out of cereal. Anybody feel me on that one? Amen, right? All right, I eat what I need to eat, and I didn't go without. If you saw me when I was in high school, you knew, right? (laughs) Never went without, Uh, but you know, my mama didn't love the Lord. She loves the Lord now, praise God. She uh, got saved, Uh, but you know, she had her struggles. You know, she had me when she was really young, and she liked to party and lifestyle, and a lot of people can't even believe that when I tell them that now. But uh, yeah, she did. But the Lord saved her. Uh, I grew up seeing that, you know, and uh, kind of uh, we. I grew up in a trailer park, lived in a trailer almost my entire life. Uh, one of the one of the first houses I ever lived in was the house that the first house Heather and I uh, bought when we first got married. Um, so I grew up in a trailer park, you know. I, I didn't have much of nothing, you know. We ran around outside playing with sticks and making bows and arrows from string and poplar, you know. Uh, we would fight, you know, in the woods. Uh, we would, whatever. Uh, got into drugs later on in my life. It's, you know, she parted and so I was friends with all of her friends' sons, and her friends parted and so they saw it, I saw it. So, you know, that's what it was. Around visible explicit sinners my whole life right Um, and so when the Lord did change my life and I caught fire you know not of anything of myself but man the Lord just lit me up and I and I man I fell in love with God and I knew within a very short period of time that I wanted to do this for the rest of my life like I was made for it and I dedicated my life to God I went to school I started studying and I got really involved in a small church, you know, where we we're going, and the Lord was working there. And when I graduated, I had thought about, you know, taking a church or what was I going to do. And, and some of this may have been in my head, but I think some of you will relate because it doesn't really matter if it's in your head or if it's real, is that anytime I went into certain churches, I just felt like I didn't belong, you know. That's not to say that those churches were evil. A lot of it might have been my own image of who I was. And this is after the Lord had changed my life. But, you know, I grew up up broke, you know. And a lot of churches have people with money. Not the old church we have in. Some of them don't. Uh, Some of them, when you walk into them, you feel like all eyes are on you. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're not. Sometimes that's you. But what I did feel was was that I, I wanted to be a part of something else and so out of that that position the Lord had put the vision on my heart of the well okay and we you know the well was born and people started showing up and oddly enough it was just jacked up people right um, Awesome people, but, man, they had some problems. Like, you know, well, there you are. <laughs> but the funny thing was was that I just felt right at home, you know? And it was like I could relate, not because I was better than the guy over the street or whatever. He could relate to the people that he related to better than I could I could never reach the people because he related but then you know and it's, you know, it's funny how it works you know there's running jokes all the time about how many sinners are in the well right which is odd because I thought there were sinners in every church but anyway is that I don't know and I'm going somewhere with this is that like I just I feel what this is saying in my bones because a lot of you guys, and some of you I don't know as well as I do others yet, but when I just hear things like, do you know so-and-so that goes to church? You know, you know he did this, 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 and this? And my response is always the same, is that, do you know what I've done? So like, you know, I brought my, my rap sheet up here one time, uh, and it was like, it's like four pages long. I was arrested nine times before I was 20. You know, meth and weed and crack and stealing cars. Oh, that was me. Literally 20, exact, Heather says exactly this month, 20 years ago. And so like, well, yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Praise God. 20 years. But I, I, I just wonder if this, the practical reality of this verse is why. All you jacked up nut jobs who I love <laughs> have come to make your home here. It's cause, man, I, I feel y'all, and I just feel I'm not ashamed of you guys. I'm really not. Like I'm not, ash- and I, that's why, what's what I'm. You see what I'm trying to get at? Is that I'm not well, I'm not ashamed of you guys. Like you know you so. Uh, Jake Worley goes to your church. I'm like, heck yeah, what you got a problem? Right? That's my boy, you know. So-and-so goes to your church, so-and-so. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. This is what this is saying. Is that Jesus Christ. Let's, let's, let's finish up. I, I'm running my mouth. <coughs> this is Jesus speaking in the practical application of what the text is teaching. That Jesus is basically saying from Hebrews chapter 10. Um, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 11, is that Jesus Christ is not ashamed of you because he's cut from the same cloth as you. He's, he has walked where you walked. He knows what it's like to be tempted. He knows what it's like to fear death. He knows what it's like to be ridiculed. And he, knows, he knows what it's like. He actually did become a human being. He actually did walk where you walk, and he did the work of salvation that needed to be done so that he could bring you into his embrace and say, you with me now. You're with me now, and when somebody else wants to ridicule you and come at you and persecute you, they have to answer to him because he's not ashamed of you. He's proud of you. No, he... No, he brings you into the middle of the whole congregation. And he says, I'm not ashamed of you. I'm not, I don't hate you. You made a mistake. Don't you understand? I paid for all of those mistakes. Past, present, and future. I've washed it all the way, all the way to the degree that you now, you no, don't, don't, over there in the corner, get out of that corner. Get over here and stand right next to me, right in the middle of everybody, so I can tell everybody, this is my brother. Jesus is doing that to those, for those, who are his children, who believe in him and who confess his name. This is Jesus speaking. He says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. Don't be scared of them coming at you saying, you're with him? You see, he's saying, the people are going to come to you and say, you're with Jesus? I'm going to kill you. No, don't be afraid because they have no power. I've got so much more I had planned for you today. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold more for a penny? Please listen to this, beloved. Are not two sparrows sold for more than a penny? For a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. God made them and he's holding them up. He's in control of everything. You don't have to, but even the hairs of your head are all numbered. God knows you inside and out. Fear not, therefore. You are more valuable than many sparrows. So, everyone who acknowledges is not ashamed. uh, Acknowledges me before men. I also will acknowledge him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny him before my Father who is in heaven. This right here. Whoever's not ashamed of me, I won't be ashamed of him. This right here. Whoever acknowledges me. Whoever says, yeah, I'm with him. Yeah, you got a problem with him. You got a problem with me. Jesus says, that's my boy. And when from the other side of the room, from the other side of the judgment seat, from the other side... Somebody yells at you. Jesus says, hold up. You got a problem with him? You got a problem with me? Now that is worth everything. It is worth more than we could possibly imagine. That Jesus Christ would stand by our side. this This is what it looks like. This is what it looks like. When Jesus brings you into his embrace... And he's not ashamed of you. Believer, he came to be like you so that he could suffer like you suffered. And so that he could suffer beyond and set you free from the fear of anybody, anywhere, anytime. And to bring you into himself and say, this is my boy. This is my girl. I'm so, look at this. I'm so proud of this guy. He said, God, Father, look. And that's what it really is. You say, you're being hyper-emotional. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. I just showed you that. Anyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge him before my Father. In other words, you're saying, when you proclaim my name before men, I'll proclaim your name before the Father. You stand before the judgment seat of God, and, and, and God is about to rain down fire on everyone who would not bow the knee to Christ. And God turns, and he's about to rain it down on you. And he's like, hold up. Jesus says, this is my boy Brennan. He speaks your name. And I believe it is. I think it's even happening now. Even now. Alexis, when you when you have a moment and you witness to somebody, if, maybe I'm reading into the text. Alexis, when you when you witness to somebody, you proclaim the name of Jesus and you share the gospel, Amanda, whoever, Warren, I wonder, if even in that moment in heaven, you say, you should come to, you should come to church with me sometime. Or, Can I tell you about what Jesus has done for me? And You acknowledge that name? I wonder from that moment, Jesus is like, hey, God, Father, you see what Alexis just did? That's my girl, right? Hey, that was Alexis. That was, hey, that's Amanda down there. That your name is echoing through the chambers of heaven. Because God is so in love with you and God is so proud of you and God has cleansed you that Jesus has brought you into himself, that there is never judgment anymore for you ever. There is is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Saying, I will tell of your name to my brother in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Jesus said, I will stand shoulder to shoulder with them any day of the week in front of anybody. I am not ashamed. These are my people. These are my people. Simply put, Jesus is not ashamed to be seen with you now and throughout the rest of eternity doing what we were all intended to do from the very beginning. Christ is witness rejoicing through the perfect completion of the perfect plan to establish the perfect people of God through the perfect sacrifice of the perfect lamb in order to magnify the perfect God. Let's all stand to our feet. Can you imagine it, church? Can you imagine it? Jesus Christ has paid the price to draw you in to his side and to live with him forevermore, proclaiming your name before the Father as you proclaim his before men. If you don't know the Lord like this, I pray that you would turn your heart over to Him today, that you would answer the call of salvation. Respond accordingly. Remember, afterward.